<sighs> okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Tuesday, October 14th, and uh, I feel good. I, You know, I, I took a, a little bit of a break. I think I burned out at the end of last week, and uh, this weekend I watched a ton of football, had a lot of alone time. It's very, very important if you're having if you're tired and just feel like you're struggling and your mental health is bad take some alone time and journal that's what i did i I played a video game called ukulele it's by the people who made banjo kazooie a silly 3d platformer which speaks to my soul it's exactly what i love um amazing amazing football this weekend there are so many stories i want to talk about i'm so excited um i don't know instead of two bigger episodes this week i'm gonna do three shorter podcasts i'm very excited i think it's gonna work better uh I, I, you know, I try to digest the sports world and then share informed opinions. And it's hard, honestly, to try to do as much, you know, there's just a bunch going on. And I think three is going to work better to get uh, content out and better time. It's just going to work better. I'm really excited. And uh, man, I'm only one guy. I'm raking through this entire sports world by myself. I have no help. I have no producers. I have nobody else writing. It's all me. I do all the research. I do everything. And so just, you know, I I think a lot of people really want me to talk about every single team in the NFL, every single episode, talk about my team and this and that. And, you know, I just, I'm doing my very best. There's a lot going on and, uh, I, I, I'm glad we have asked Zach because it helps at the end of the show to have questions from the audience to kind of, what do you guys want to talk about? You guys pay me. I talk about the stuff you guys want. I want to jump in today with Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray was the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. He's the Cardinals starting quarterback. And through six games, he has seven touchdowns, four interceptions, a 64% completion percentage, 1,664 yards. And I get so many questions about him. And when the year started, there were a lot of people that were concerned. Everybody was doubtful. Like, oh, Zach, what's going on with Kyler, this and that, and panicky from Cardinals fans. And now, you know, after week six, he's won two games in a row. His most recent game against Atlanta Falcons, he had three touchdowns. They beat Atlanta by one point, 34 to 33. And he played really, really well in the fourth quarter. And I don't believe people understand fully what a monumental task Kyler Murray has undertaken by being the starting quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals. Nobody understands the beginning to his NFL career, starting the way he has, is so difficult, and he's put so much on his plate, and I think people don't people do not understand. First of all, he went to the Arizona Cardinals, a bad team, a team that went three and thirteen last year. They were absolutely terrible. He went to the he went to a bad team, became their day one starter, and he's running an air raid system in the NFL. People do not understand what that means. Air raid. What does that mean? It means he throws the ball all the time. There's more than that. We'll get to it down the road. We'll start there, though. So, you know, first of all, he's won two games. <laughs> Kyler's doing better. He's on track to do far better this year than the Cardinals did last year. Because I, I think they're going to win a couple more games. I really like what's going on with Kyler. And again, he's in an air raid system. It's hard to not only step in the NFL and be a day one starter. That's very, very difficult, no matter what system you run. Then he stepped into the NFL, running an air raid system which is enormous. It's just an enormously difficult task. An air raid offense puts so 
much on the quarterback. The workload, the mental load, everything goes on to the quarterback. There's no hiding. There's no masking weaknesses. A lot of teams have a rookie quarterback, and their, their philosophy is, you know, we're going to run the ball really well, play good defense. We'll have our quarterback not throw a lot. We'll use play action. We'll kind of mask the fact that he's a rookie. We'll take care of him, be very safe. No, 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 no. The Cardinals have not done that. They've gone against conventional wisdom because they have a guy they think can do it. And he has, and he's doing well. They're throwing the ball 40 times a game with a rookie quarterback. Man, I love it. In week one, the Cardinals threw the ball 54 times. Week two, they threw the ball 40 times. Week three, 43 times. Week four and five, they threw the ball 32 times each. And week six, against the Falcons, they threw the ball 37 times. It's unheard of for a rookie quarterback to run the system he's running and doing what he's doing and having any success at all, let alone he looks pretty good in the last two weeks. Week six, Kyler was 27 for 37 passing, and nobody seems to appreciate how difficult that is. You know, he didn't immediately light up the NFL. In the first couple weeks, it was kind of great. You know, you know ah, not, not amazing. No touchdown passes. His team lost in a couple games. I mean, there's been some moments this year where you're like, it's Kyler. What's going on with Kyler? And people kept asking me, are you concerned? Are you concerned? The Cardinals fans were like, ah, no, I have never been concerned, and I'm not concerned. In fact, I'm very encouraged watching Kyler Murray. He is a rookie, a rookie quarterback. He's still growing. He's still learning. And the Cardinals and their head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, have done a really good job surrounding Kyler with young receivers and getting him up to speed. They've put their faith in Kyler. They trust him and they believe in him. That is so, so important. And I'll be honest, it looks like the Cardinals are building something. When I watch, I go, oh, that's really good. Here's the deal. So with the Air Raid offense, it was uh, the Air Raid offense was created by Mike Leach, who's now currently the head coach at Washington State University. The Air Raid offense throws the ball like every single play. It puts a ton of... On the quarterback. In fact, it puts everything on the quarterback. Not just on, you know, throwing the ball every play, but even running the ball, it's usually the quarterback's decision to check into the run. They read the box, oh, the box is empty. Check, check, we're doing a run play. That literally every play has some kind of option. Every play is a bunch of processing and so much for Kyler to think about and do at the line of scrimmage. The fact that he's doing as well as he is, is impressive. You know, the air raid offense works really well in college. Because when the quarterback makes a mistake, it's much more easily forgiven in college than in the NFL. You know, I was at Washington State during Luke Falk's senior year at Washington State. I was there when Gardner Minshew played in his one year there. It was brilliant. It was fun. It was awesome. And there was a really big difference between those two guys. Not only was it leadership. I think, you know, Gardner Minshew is a far better leader, far more polarizing, has personality. He wins the room just by being in the room. People follow Gardner Minshew. But also Luke Falk made a lot of mistakes, but he got away with them. I think he's like, I think currently he's a Pac-12's all-time leading receiver. <laughs> and he did that in spite of the fact that he made a lot of mistakes and threw balls he shouldn't have made because he's playing against Pac-12 defenses, not NFL defenses. You know, defensive backs, corners, and safeties are not as good. Guys are wide open. You don't need to be as accurate. 
You can underthrow a pass or make a bad decision in college, and it doesn't kill you. In the NFL, you pay for those mistakes. You get punished if you underthrow a pass. You get punished if you make a bad read. So that system that works in college because of, you know, the fact that defenses aren't as good. You take that to the NFL. It still works, but it's way harder. You have to be far more precise, far more detailed. Basically, Kyler has to be perfect every single time. Basically. It's so mentally demanding. There's so much on the guy's plate. He's throwing about 40 times a game. He's checking to runs. He's Again, it just basically requires him to be perfect. It's like, wow. how is nobody understanding what Kyler's doing is impressive. They're all worried. And, and now some people are like, oh, he looks pretty good. He's been good all year. He's a day one starter. They put the entire offense on his plate. They're not coddling him. They're not playing great defense. They're not running the ball really well. They're putting it all on Kyler. And sometimes he's even succeeding as a rookie. Yes, of course, Kyler Murray's going to make mistakes. But what he's doing is so impressive. And I think people need to understand that by the time he masters that offense, the rest of the NFL has to look out. He's doing such a good job. I'm so encouraged. And I just think people don't understand the monumental task he's taken on by running an air raid offense in the NFL. It's working. It's doable. But step by step by step, he's getting better. And you got to have patience. Because, again, by the time Kyler masters this offense, it's going to be scary. And everybody better look out. All right. Um, okay, we're going to talk about Dak Prescott in a minute. You know, I'm, I'm drinking this drink. I discovered this drink that I just love. It's, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to get them as a sponsor, so I'm not telling anybody what it is. It's unique. It's kind of weird, and it, it, it's perfect for me. I'm literally, you know, I, have, I, I like brands. I pick brands. I like them. I love Reach Floss. I love John Bellion. It's my favorite musician, and I don't really waver. I really only listen to John Bellion. I really only use Reach Floss. I, I very like, I, weird, pecu- I wear the same shirt every episode. I'm very peculiar about a lot of things. And I discovered this drink that it, it just works for me. It's gonna, I'm going to bring it to social settings. I can drink it on the show. It's, uh, I'll tell you, I, I hope to get a sponsorship from them. I'm working on it behind the scenes. I really, really, I'm excited about this product that I want to promote on the show. So we'll get there later. Um, let's now talk about Dak Prescott. Three games in a row, Dak Prescott has been underwhelming to say the least, right? It, it's not great. I mean, he had a bunch of stats and garbage time against the Green Bay Packers, fair enough. But I'm not able to defend him anymore in good conscience. I can't. I just cannot. I can't look in the, I can't watch what I'm seeing every Sunday now and go, oh yeah, Dak should get paid or I believe in, I just, I'm not. The, the Cowboys are three and three. They've lost three games in a row. They lost to the, you know, the Saints, which is fine. They have a good defense, fair enough. And Dak did not do enough in that game. And I thought, okay, well, maybe it's a really good defense. Whatever, fine. And then this past week against the Jets, they lost to the, they lost to the Saints, the Packers, and then the Jets embarrassed the Cowboys. <laughs> At one point, they were down, I think, 21 to 6. It's like, oh, oh, it's awful. And, you know, it's just not good enough. What we're seeing from Dak Prescott is not enough. This past week against the Jets, he was 28 for 40 passing. That's a 70% completion percentage. Fair enough. He had some good plays. He had 277 yards. 
And, you know, yards now do not impress me at all the way they used to. Yards are just garbage time. It means when the team's playing a prevent defense or throwing the ball underneath and stealing a bunch of yards, I'm not impressed by yards at all. And honestly, 277 in today's NFL is not that good. And the honest truth about Dak Prescott is he's just not been playing good enough. By the way, the three teams that made him look really good, the Giants defense, the Redskins defense, and the Dolphins defense, they're combined 3-14. and 14. They have three wins and 14 losses, those three teams combined. Those are the three teams that Dak Prescott looked really good against in the first three weeks. And it pains me to say this. I like Dak Prescott. He's a grown-up. He makes some good throws. I feel good about him. I think he's a good leader. And he's been really close in the last three weeks, but he's just not been quite there. Not been quite good enough. And, uh, you know, one of my, I'm going to make it a comparison. One of my favorite video game franchises is a franchise called Zelda. Legends of Zelda. My favorite, personal favorite game is Ocarina of Time from the Nintendo 64. And I love Zelda. It always nails every single, every single game just nails all the things I love. Puzzles, you get to explore, you get to fight enemies. It's, it's just, it's exactly what I like. And then there's this other franchise called Darksiders. And people call Darksiders a Zelda clone because they took the formula and recipe that makes Zelda work and tried to copy it and do their own thing. And, you know, they do a ton of the same. It's, it's just really like, you play Darksiders, you know, this feels like Zelda. And there's a lot to like in Darksiders. I enjoy it. But, but, but. Darksiders is not quite Zelda. It's fun. I like it has good moments, but it doesn't have the same amount of polish. It's not quite good enough. The music's not as good. I don't care about the character. The world isn't really pretty or charming. The point was not to go on a rant about Darksiders and Zelda. It's an analogy where Dak Prescott is Darksiders. Dak Prescott is not that great polished product that other quarterbacks are. I would compare Russell Wilson to Zelda. Zelda in this situation is Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's fantastic. And I think it's actually a good analogy because... They have similar things. They run the ball well. They both run the ball well, but, you know, Dak Russell runs the ball better. Dak Prescott throws the ball well, but Russell Wilson throws the ball better. They're both good leaders. They both, you know, they're both very impressive figures and the way they talk and in interviews and stuff, it's really good. You, there are some similarities between Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson, but Russell Wilson is the superior product. Russell Wilson is elite. Russell Wilson makes $35 million a year. That's his average salary if you look it up on sporttrack.com. Spot tracks, but I don't know how you say it, whatever, however you say it. And uh, there's just an obvious gap. There's an obvious gap between Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott. If you made me pick one, Darksiders or Zelda, I would pay far more money to buy Zelda than I would for Darksiders because it's just not, it's not as valuable to me. It's not as good. It's not as polished. It's not the elite product I want. I would not pay as much for Dak Prescott as I would Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson makes $35 million a year. Dak Prescott says he wants $34. i am not paying Dak Prescott $34 million right now. I know I've made arguments in the past. I was wrong. I can own that. I, I thought Dak was going to be better this year. I thought he was going to make a step forward. And I thought he did the first couple of weeks. And you look at who he's played and you go, okay, in retrospect, <laughs> through six weeks, Dak has shown us what he is. He's a solid quarterback. I'd pay him $18 or $20 million a year. He's good. He's not elite. His ceiling is not as high. He's, he's just not Russell Wilson. He's not one of the best. He's not Deshaun Watson. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's the next tier down. And 
he's not good enough. There are things I like about Dak Prescott, but I would not pay Dak Prescott as much as Russell Wilson. And there were a couple very, very telling plays for the Dallas Cowboys against the Jets on Sunday. There's one play where the Cowboys were in the red zone. It's fourth and two. And a lot of people blame this play. You know, it's the Jet the Cowboys went for a fourth and two against the Jets, and they didn't get it. And everyone's very mad. They're like, Jason Garrett is awful. They shouldn't have gone for it, this and that. And I, I actually liked the decision to go for it. What I didn't like was the play call. The Cowboys ran a designed quarterback run on fourth and two in the red zone. And it tells me, okay, are you not confident in Dak Prescott, his ability? Are you not confident in his ability to throw the ball? The Cowboys got man coverage across the board. What that means is they had good matchups. They had to pick one and throw the ball. And in that big moment on a fourth and two, instead of throwing the ball with our quarterback, the Cowboys decided to run. That's weird and a little bit telling. And then what's even more interesting is on the final real important play of the game, it's a, it's a two-point conversion. The Cowboys were down 24 to 22. They need to get this two-point conversion to tie the game with like basically no time left. The Jets make a great call. They go cover zero across the board. They bring blitzers at Dak Prescott. They say, we're going to blitz you, make you make a great pass against man coverage, and Dak Prescott could not do it. He missed the throw against... You, you Blame whoever you want. You can blame a call. People are all mad about this call. I And when I watch that play, I go, Dak Prescott missed. Dak Prescott threw the ball to the wrong shoulder. That's why it was incomplete. He's got to be better. He's got to be better. And, you know, again, I, I like Dak Prescott. He's a good quarterback. But Dak Prescott is not an elite quarterback. He's not that top tier with Russell Wilson and guys who would, you would pay $35 million, $34 million a year. Dak Prescott has proven he's not that. Pains me to say, I li- again, I like Dak, but he's not elite. You know, I find myself connecting with the stories and scenarios of all these young quarterbacks. And I think the scenarios these guys find themselves all relate really well to life. Your first year or two in the NFL is all about growth and all about learning. And once you're into like your fifth year in the NFL, the growth period is over. You're settled. You've come to a resting point. And, you know, and guys like Marcus Mariota or Jameis Winston, they're in their fifth year. We know what they are by now. I kind of would liken it to, I worked at a car wash in high school and I had coworkers who were, 40 years old, making minimum wage, working at a car wash. And it's painful to watch. It's hard to see, but it's guys who kind of have they've hit a, a, a stop in their acceleration. They've hit a resting point in their life, and they've settled. Their upward trajectory from when they were kids has stopped, and they kind of hit a, they hit a ceiling. It's sad. It's awful. I'm not saying that to discourage anybody. You know, uh, when, you're, when you're 40 years old, your life is not over. You can still make a change. My mom actually went back to college. She's in her 50s. She went back to school. She's getting her master's and trying to change her entire career. I'm not saying you can't do that. But for those guys I met at the car wash, they'd hit their ceiling and it, there wasn't anything better for them coming later in life. It's sad. It's very brutal. But that's what I saw. And those, I, would, I would liken those guys to Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston. The upward trajectory has stopped. But this is why I think I connect with these young quarterbacks. Sam Darnold. Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Gardner Minshew. I feel like I'm leaving someone out. I don't 
I don't know who it is, but I, those young quarterbacks in the first and second year, there's a lot of unknown with these guys. They're still in a growth period, and that's very much how I feel about my own life. You know, right now, I'm, I'm not in college. I don't know if I'm going back. I guess if I don't go back, I'm considered a college dropout. I'm looking for an apartment. I'm starting this new career on YouTube making content that I love and is amazing, but it's still wildly interesting and different. Like I, it's, it's a different thing every day. It's, I run into new problems and challenges every single day. I go, oh, wow, weird and cool. And there's just, it's just a whole new experience. I'm in a, this relationship uh, with my, you know, it's a really cool story. It's my best friend from high school. I've, I've been in love with this girl for six years. I finally get out of the friend zone. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to marry this girl. I might not, but I think so. And I just, I look at my life right now. I have a bunch of unknown. My future feels, there's a bunch of things in flux and I, I'm just not sure. I might fail, right? I'm trying this new career. <laughs> I might fall apart and crash and burn miserably. I don't think so, but I've started my own business and we'll see how it goes. The point is, you know, I make mistakes every single day. I'm still learning. I'm figuring out what I'm doing. And I think it's important to recognize with these young quarterbacks, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, all these young guys, is they're people. They're human beings. They've stepped into new careers. <laughs> and they're, they're figuring all, all kinds of new things about their lives. They're getting houses and apartments, and they have wives, and some of them are getting Baker Mayfield just got married. And... These are young guys. And, you know, Dwayne Haskins got shafted. Dwayne Haskins got screwed. He was drafted to the Washington Redskins, the horrible organization. And he was thrown to the Wolves. Literally, his first game he was put in, he'd never before gotten first-team reps. And in that game, he got punched in the face. Three interceptions, not a great start to the NFL. And Dwayne Haskins' NFL career has been similar to a kid who graduates high school High school, maybe college, who never had a support system, who gets fired and evicted and, you know, two years out of school just goes, crap, man. I just I fell flat on my face and it hurt and it sucked. It's getting beat by life. And by the way, that's an analogy. I'm not saying Dwayne Haskins' family in real life. is. It's just an analogy where the Washington Redskins are horrible parents that don't set up their kid to succeed. I'm sure in real life, Dwayne Haskins' actual parents are awesome, wonderful people. But... I root for all these young quarterbacks because they're people. They're human beings who are learning and navigating new realities. It's a new career path with, you know, new offensive systems. They have money for the first time in their lives. They're buying a house. And as I look around, I'm 22 years old. As I look around at all the other people my age, some people are killing it. Some people, you know, all kinds of great stuff. And some people are not. And then other people are just kind of figuring out their, you know, my, some of my friends are just figuring things out. They don't have jobs yet. They got out of college and, or they, they work at a minimum wage job. Still figuring, they're just figuring it out, right? Because they're 22 and they're young and they're learning every day. So my point is that these young quarterbacks are going to make mistakes. <laughs> That's a very long roundabout way of saying we got to be forgiving to these young quarterbacks. They're young human beings learning how to do new jobs. And I'll tell you, man, like Daniel Jones has more interceptions than he does touchdowns. It's forgivable. He's a rookie. Okay. Josh Allen throws boneheaded interceptions. He runs around. He gets hurt. It's forgivable. Josh Rosen's NFL career has been sad and hard to watch because he's repeatedly given bad teams and no support. 
and no talent around him. And I just want to encourage everybody that these are not just storylines. You know, these people, we talk about quarterbacks all the time, and they're not just headlines. They're not just clickbait. These are real people learning how to navigate real life. And <laughs> you can be mad at me all you, whatever you want. Dwayne Haskins hasn't been well supported. Josh Rosen hasn't been well supported. All these young quarterbacks are in very different situations with very different levels of support from their franchises. I have compassion for them and I root for all of them and just understand that there are a lot more factors than just the stuff they deal with every day. So I, I just am, I just, I've never really talked about the way quarterbacks play as they, the way they relate to life. And I just, I see a lot of parallels between a young guy, any young person who's 22 or 23 getting out of college or getting out of school, I think can relate to young quarterbacks learning and struggling and needing a little bit of patience and some are better than others. I just, it's a good analogy to life. And so I just, uh, I just thought of that this weekend when I was watching football, I was like, man, Daniel Jones, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, like, oh, you know, they're just, they're kids still figuring it out. You may not like that. I know they're, they're also making millions and millions of dollars as a face of franchises, but I think you got to give young quarterbacks a little bit of time and space to develop and figure it out and uh, understand that they're human too and still learning and still um, figuring things out. I know I may not, I don't know if that segment landed. I don't know if that was good or not, uh, but I just, that's what, that's what I thought about when I watched football this weekend. Uh, before we take a break, I want to talk about my little brother. If you're struggling, please get help. Please go get help. Uh, three years ago, my younger brother took his life. And it's uh, uh, the worst thing I've ever been through. Awful, awful stuff, man. Heartbreaking. And I learned two really painful lessons through that experience. The first one is that um, you know, if you're struggling, go get help. My younger brother never told anybody he was having a hard time. I, you know, I walked into his bedroom one day and found him dead on the floor. And uh, that stinks. And so don't suffer in silence. If you're struggling and need help, reach out to people. Reach out to your friends. Talk to them. Just don't suffer in silence and don't do what my brother did. It's, it's really painful. It's awful. It just hurts the people around you. And uh, it's sad. So I just encourage you, if you're struggling, go get help. The Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. The other painful lesson I learned is that I didn't make it clear enough to my younger brother that he could talk to me. And so I encourage you, tell the people in your life that you love them, that you're there for them, that they're struggling, they can talk to you, that, hey, I'm here for you. If you ever need someone to talk to, I didn't do a good enough job telling that to my brother, saying to my brother, hey, Zane, if you're struggling, let's talk. I can help you out. And so I just encourage you, man, if you're struggling, go get help and then make sure the people in your life know how much you love them and that you're there for them if they're the ones struggling and they need help from you. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about, I have, ah, I have such a good segment about Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston. We'll talk about uh, Duck Hodges during Ask Zach. We have, oh, we have so much good stuff coming up. We're going to talk about my big problem with college football, all kinds of good stuff. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'll take a short break, and I will be right back. Oh, right, we are back. Uh, so I just did a segment where I talked about how Young quarterbacks all develop at their own rate and own speed. And every quarterback's different. Some make mistakes early, some make mistakes later. And it's all, just you got to give it young quarterbacks, I think, two years to figure it out. I think year three is when you got to start raising expectations for younger quarterbacks. 
But by the time you get to year five, by the time you get to year five, we know what you are as a quarterback. If you don't make it work in year five, I'm ready to walk away. So during the NFL week six, two quarterbacks had a bad time. Uh, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. First of all, Marcus Mariota, the Titans quarterback. Yes, his offensive line is bad, but he is not good enough. In the third quarter of the game last week against the Broncos, he threw a second interception. He got pulled. He got yanked from the game. Got replaced by Ryan Tannehill. And although Ryan Tannehill didn't score, Ryan Tannehill did a lot better job than Mariota. Regularly, it's a common occurrence. Marcus Mariota is not good enough. I don't like saying that. I like the guy. But the player, Marcus, not delivering. And I keep waiting, and I keep waiting, and I keep, keep waiting. And it's year five, and still hasn't popped. That's still not good enough. He no-showed against the two good defense he played against this year. Played against the Bills and the Colts, and dropped a goose egg. It was pretty bad. And the real, only real success that Marcus Mariota's had this year has been against two bad teams, the Cleveland Browns and the horrible Atlanta Falcons defense. I mean, so Marcus Mariota's not working. And as bad a week as Mariota had getting benched on Sunday, Jameis Winston was somehow even worse. Against the Panthers, he had six turnovers, five interceptions, and a fumble. And by the way, he fumbled twice. Just one of them, his own team recovered. It was hard to watch. Bad and accurate passes, horrible footwork. And it was really funny. You know, they played against the Panthers. And seeing Jameis Winston contrasted against the Panthers quarterback, Kyle Allen, was very interesting. It just was like, oh, wow. You know, on one hand, Kyle Allen is very solid. He's rarely incredible, but he's very good. He does his job well. And on the other hand, you have Jameis Winston. And Jameis Winston has these moments that are incredible. He makes a great throw into really tight coverage. You go, wow. That's just eye-popping. He's really, really physically talented. But for all the great moments you get with Jameis, you have these horrible moments that are just unacceptable. Just awful throws and bad decisions. Kyle Allen is like very, very steady. Jameis Winston's like, oh, just up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. You're like, I can't handle this roller coaster at all. <laughs> you know, the, you ever been to Disneyland? I went to Disneyland once when I was a really, really young kid. And, uh, Jameis Winston, this ridiculous roller coaster, and Kyle Allen is the ride that it's like the, uh, what is it, Little World, Little Big Planet? I can't remember what it is, but they ride through like, it's the river walk. It's very slow, little calm water. You get on a canoe and just very calmly ride down. Nothing really incredible happens. Nothing really bad happens. It's very mundane, and then it's over. And you're like, oh, cool. And they sing the word, what's that little song? It, it's a song with like, it's Little Big World, I think. I think is what it's called. The point is this. Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston were both drafted in 2015. This is their fifth NFL season. And if they were going to get better, it would have happened by now. I've been waiting and waiting, and it's not working out. And when I think of these two quarterbacks, here's where my mind goes. The two of them are not complete, utter, horrible failures. You know, the Chargers once drafted a quarterback named Ryan Leaf. He was a complete, utter failure in the NFL. He bombed and was terrible. 
I think of the movie, you know, 47 Ronin was a movie with Keanu Reeves in it. It was a disaster. They lost $98 million. It bombed. No one liked it. It was terrible. Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota are not that. They're not complete failures. But they're also not a success story. I think about the movie Solo. It's the Han Solo Star Wars spinoff. And, uh, you know, I didn't really like the movie Solo, but it had good moments. I didn't hate it. You know, and they really struggled in the production phase. It's really funny. Um, In the developing process, they fired the director. And they brought in a new guy named Ryan Howard. Or sorry, Ron, excuse me, Ryan. Ryan, I think Ryan Howard's from The Office. They brought in Ron Howard, a director I really like. He directed Rush with uh, Chris Hemsworth. He also did Apollo 13. He made A Beautiful Mind. He's a good director who's done good work in the past. It makes me think of, oh, well, Jameis Winston had a head coach that got fired, Dirk Cutter. They removed him. They replaced him with Bruce Arians. And Bruce Arians, similar to Ron Howard, Bruce Arians is a guy who's done good work in the past. He's worked with Peyton Manning, Big Ben, Andrew Luck. And Ron Howard, a really good director who's done good work, things I like. I think he made one of the, uh, what's the movie with Tom Hanks? He made one of the, I think he made Inferno. Anyway, the point is this. Even Ron Howard couldn't save the movie Solo. And even Bruce Arians, a good head coach, cannot save Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota have had good moments, but they've never been the success we wanted. Never been the franchise quarterback that everybody wanted from them. Both won Heisman trophies in college, came in the same draft class, and they've just never quite lived up to the expectations. The movie Solo had good moments. In fact, Han Solo is one of my three favorite characters of all time. It's Han Solo, Captain Kirk, and Captain Jack Sparrow. I love the three of them. I wanted to love this movie, and I didn't. But it made some good money, and again, I admit, I enjoyed parts of it. The Han Solo movie made $392.9 million at the box office. That's a lot of money. The problem was, (laughs) despite some success, they needed to make $500 million to break even. They did not. And Disney had planned to make a trilogy series, and they canceled it. They canceled their long-term plans because the movie wasn't good enough. Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston. Do you get the point? Do you understand what I'm talking, the analogy here? Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston are both in the last year of their contracts, and the long-term plan is getting canceled. It's not, they've not been good enough. They've never, ever lived up to the, expectation that they would become franchise quarterbacks. They've never been good enough. The long-term plan failed. They were not horrible busts. Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, they were not Ryan Leaf. They were not that awful. They weren't a train wreck. But they've also never become the franchise quarterbacks that everybody wanted them to become. Let's shift gears to college football. I hope that I really I like that. I was proud of that. I hope that was good. Probably makes you sound unconfident. It, you know, you never know. Sometimes you, you have a topic you feel great about, doesn't land at all. Sometimes you have a topic you don't think anything of, and it blows up, gets like a hundred thousand views. Everybody loves you. You're like, all right, well, okay. I want to talk about college football though. Um, there are five important dates left in college football. Just five. October 26th, Ohio State versus Wisconsin. November 11th, LSU versus Alabama. November 23rd, Ohio State at Penn State. And then on December 7th, you have 
both the SEC championship and the Big Ten championship. So when, when I look at college football, Oklahoma just beat Texas. They're going to go undefeated the rest of their schedule, and it's going to work out for them. They're going to be just fine. And then Clemson survived the one bad game. They have a bad game every single year. You know, they survived their bad game against North Carolina. They barely won by one point. And so to me, two spots are now filled on the college football playoff. Oklahoma and Clemson, they're in. They're going to make it. And uh, yeah, I know it makes people mad. I know people don't like that. Like, yeah, what about my team? Like, remove your feelings from this. Just look at their schedules and go, okay, yeah, Clemson and Oklahoma. Yeah, they're going to probably going to feed it. I know there's always a chance, but when I see it, I go, okay. So then it comes down to LSU or Alabama and then Ohio State or Wisconsin. Those are the other two spots. There's two more spots left. Two of those four teams are going to make it. Ohio State has two really tough games coming up. They play Wisconsin and then Penn State. Likely the winner of Penn State, Ohio State plays Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game. So to me, there's only really seven teams that are relevant anymore to the college football playoff debate at all. LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State, and then Clemson and Oklahoma, I think are locked and going to make it in. This makes me sad. I don't like this at all. I don't feel good about saying this. I'm just telling you what I see. You might be furious. Some, some uh, Notre Dame fans are like, I'm so mad. My team's, why are you leaving my team? I get it. You're mad. That's what I see. And there are three kind of dark horse teams. There's Georgia, Oregon, and Notre Dame. And you could throw in Florida because, you know, Georgia or Florida will play LSU or Alabama in the SEC championship game. So, okay, we'll throw in Florida. But I, I hate the way that college football is structured. I hate it. It just, I absolutely abhor it. It's awful. It drives me nuts. Rankings are dumb. I hate them. I really, really, really hate college football rankings. They do not make me happy. Once you lose one game, your season's over. <laughs> one game. Oregon went on the road. I think they went to Dallas. They took a chance. They played a tough SEC team. They played Auburn. They played Auburn and they lost. Lost by six points. Season over. First game of the year. Season over. Game one, Oregon's year, they got eliminated from the college football playoff. I, I College football rewards teams that make easy schedules. Uh, I think the better way to say that is college football's current system, the current structure of college football rewards teams who make easy schedules. I prefer the NFL. I, I think the NFL is far more interesting and far a far better product to watch. There's high, a higher level of talent. There's better quarterbacks. The offenses are more intricate. Better quality football. There's fewer blown assignments. And you know what you don't have in the NFL? You don't have Alabama playing New Mexico State winning 62-10. to 10. You don't have Oregon beating Nevada 77-6. to 6. Those are real games. They actually happened this year. When have we seen a game like that in the NFL? I understand when the Patriots went undefeated that a couple games, they beat the crap out of the Redskins that year. But a blowout, you know, 66 to 7, or what is it? Was it, it was 77 to 6? That's not the norm in the NFL. And in college, that happens every single year. The first week, couple weeks are crap. They're nothing. They're horrible games. No one watches. You have, or, you, know, you have Alabama playing Nichols State. Like, 
What the heck? Why? When I watch the NFL, there are so many more unexpected results that are fun to me. I like when I can watch something and not be certain what's going to happen next. How often do you watch an Alabama game and go, ah, you know, I don't think they're going to win today. It's it's like once every couple of years. <laughs> right? Maybe the one time they got blown out by Clemson. Like, sure, okay. One time? George has made him nervous a couple times. The Jets just beat the Cowboys 24 to 22, and I had no idea it was coming. That's in the NFL. I love that. It was fun. At one point, the Jets were up 21 to 6 at halftime. The Panthers just beat the Buccaneers 37 to 36. It was fun. It was close. I didn't know what was going to happen. The Seahawks Browns was great. The Browns were up 20 to 6. The Seahawks battled back. They won 34 to 28. The Texans beat the Chiefs 31 to 24. The Cardinals beat the Falcons 33 to 34. And the Steelers beat the Chargers with a third string quarterback. I could not have expected that. I could not see that coming. Oh, who's Duck Hodges? How did he win a game? Too often when I watch college football, I know exactly what's going to happen. Again, when you watch Alabama games, you go, yeah, Alabama's not going to get challenged today at all. I think there is one edge college football has over the NFL. It's the game day atmosphere. I just broadcasted a game a couple weeks ago. Utah versus Washington State. Yeah, it's so much fun. The student section, the band, the lights. That's incredible. When you go to a college game, it's a blast. It can't be beaten, especially a good college game where it's close and it matters. I enjoy the energy of a college stadium, I think, more than I do in the NFL. If I had to, work, if I had to broadcast games, I think I'd actually rather broadcast college football. It's fun. But right now, the current structure of college football, you lose one game, your season's over. It's terrible. Teams make their schedules as easy as possible to survive their season and get the highest ranking. I hate it. I I hate it so much. And I'm sure some commenter is going to say, well, what about, you know, Clemson almost lost to, uh, to North, North Carolina, Zach. Uh, or like, yeah, Georgia did lose this week. They just lost to South Carolina. Yes, I understand that it happens, but it's rare. There's a reason why it's news in college football when there's an upset, because it almost never happens. How often does South Carolina beat Georgia? How often does UNC actually beat Clemson or even make it a close game? Very rarely. That's why it's news. That's why people talk about it. That's why they make a big deal out of it because it's surprising and shocking. Like Clemson's probably not going to play a close regular season game the rest of the year. You know, this is the problem. College football leaves me unsatisfied from week to week. I just, every week I go like, oh, Alabama killed it again. And you know, this team is, uh, it's, I just, Here's the problem. I know there, there are really good matchups out there in college football. Like, there are such great matchups I'd love to see. I really want to see Georgia play Oregon. That would be awesome. Like, a dream come true. It'd be really fun. Two one-loss teams. Who wins? Duking it out. That'd be awesome. And it's a matchup I'm never going to get to see. Unless they play each other in a bowl game in which maybe maybe Justin Herbert, their Oregon's quarterback, doesn't even play and starters sit out. I really want a 16-team college football playoff. I think it fixes a lot of problems with the current system. And before you say, it's impossible, we can't do it, we can't have, you know, four extra games and the season ends, come on, it's too much, blah, blah, blah. Stop that nonsense. (laughs) 
college football's lower division, D1 AA FCS. That's North Dakota State. That's Eastern Washington. They play a five-round, 24-team college football playoff. Five rounds. If they can have five rounds, can't we have a four-round playoff bracket? Can't we do that? Most bowl games suck. What are you playing for? What's the motivation? You were the Tallahassee Water Bottle Camping Corporation Christmas Tree Bowl champions. Here's a weird plaque and a sweatshirt. Guys don't care about that. A college, like a guy who's 22 playing college football doesn't care about the Christmas tree water bottle buffalo sauce bowl. They just they don't care. You can make them try it. You can try to make them care. But that's why people that, and the NFL doesn't care if you skip your bowl game. And a great player is going to be good in the NFL, skips the bowl game. NFL scouts go, eh, we don't blame them at all. It's a meaningless bowl game. How about we give people a reason to play? A 16-team college football playoff. You can still have other bowl games for the crappier teams. But how about the 16 highest-ranked teams? Or the best team? Whatever, however, you wanna, however you want to decide what the, those 16 are, you probably still have to keep rankings in, unfortunately. And, of course, teams will still not schedule the hardest they can. But the playoff would be fun and exciting and it'd be great matchups. Those teams would have a reason to fight hard in their bowl game. They'd still get a bowl game. But this time they're fighting for something. They're fighting for a chance to win a championship. And that's cool. That sounds fun. That's what I want to see. And I once argued that we should not expand the college football playoff. I once argued that we should not. And I was wrong. It was silly of me. It was wrong. I want the college football playoff to expand. I want programs to schedule more big games. Oregon-Auburn was fun, and I think it's really sad that Oregon gets punished for scheduling a tough game at far away from Oregon and Texas against Auburn. You know, they put themselves out there, they lost, and they get punished for it. And that's, that's lame. It sucks. And I wish they still had a chance to compete. I really do. All, the, the only way Oregon gets in now is if other teams lose. And that's, I guess, I, I guess right? Oregon would have been better off playing Appalachians, you know, name same, some dinky little town, Dixie State, right? They play a, a tiny little FCS school. They play Portland State. If Oregon had played Portland State week one instead of Auburn, Oregon might be in the top four right now. How, how lame is that? How, like, terrible and disgusting is that? I hate that. I believe expanding the college football playoff would make for better matchups and make more enjoyable games. And I think it would make a better television product that would be more fun to watch. That is my proposition for a 16-team college football playoff. (sighs) Okay. Um, Let's talk about Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns are now two and four. Baker has five touchdowns, 11 interceptions, and a 56% completion percentage. And by the way, the benchmark with completion percentage, you want to be at at least 60, he's below the benchmark. He looks bad. The dude has fallen a long, long way. It's a long fall from grace. And I'll admit, you know, the Browns' play design has not been great. Baker regularly does not have an outlet to throw the ball underneath. And the O-line has been really struggling. And I feel bad for Baker. 
I don't know if I feel bad, but I, I feel maybe it's not necessarily. I do feel bad. I, I'm just like, ah, it's disappointing to me. I, it makes people mad. They're like, well, how could you feel? I, I got a comment there. How could you feel sad for he's a, a, a blanky blank. He's terrible. And I, sure. First of all, I don't think people understand how talented Baker is. He can really throw the ball. He can throw the ball. He's great on the run. And I don't think people understand that or value that a little at all. The ability is there. But I, as a Baker Mayfield fan, I can even acknowledge Baker Mayfield has made a fool of himself with his mouth. And let's talk about that mouth. I've always liked Baker. I'll tell you why. Uh, in high school, I was told I was too small. I played quarterback, and they said, Zach, Trent Dilfer even told me in my face, said, your, your arm's not strong enough. You're too small. And so I didn't take a walk-on at a bigger college football program. Instead, I went from a higher level down to, I went to D, play D3 football out of high school. And uh, Division three is mostly a joke. More people cared about my high school games than my college games. And Baker Mayfield did what I wish I had done. He took a chance on himself. He went to a bigger school. He walked on and he earned that spot. He, he proved people wrong. He didn't do it once. He did it twice. He walked on to two programs and he defeated the system. He proved people wrong. He overcame a bad system and he won the Heisman Trophy. He's like, stick it to you. You're wrong. I was great. Like Baker Mayfield proved people wrong. I, I just, I love that. Baker Mayfield did what I wish I'd done. You know, I, w- I wish I'd had the guts to do. It's so cool. And I've always enjoyed Baker Mayfield's mouth. It's, it's entertaining. It is. And in college, Baker beat the system. He made people dumb for not recruiting him. Him against the system. He's one of those guys. And in the NFL, that attitude of it's me against the system hasn't worked. You know, there's a reason why Tom Brady and Drew Brees don't talk the way Baker Mayfield does. The NFL is not an unfair system like college. The NFL is very fair and very honest. If you play well, you get respect. I feel sad for Baker. You know, he's only in year two. Things are not looking good in Cleveland. And uh, the guy has been publicly embarrassed. You know, some sportscasters, I'm sure, are gloating. Probably they're vindictive. They're going to gloat. They're going to rub it in his face. I think it's important to remember that these athletes we talk about every week are not just storylines. They're not just headlines. They're not just clickbait. Baker Mayfield's a person learning really tough lessons, just really brutal, brutal lessons. And, uh, you know, it's also important to say that I have not lost hope for Baker. I think if we get him a, maybe a better coach, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's a coach. I haven't decided yet. I haven't done the film. But certainly the Browns offensive line is not great. And it's one thing to give up on Marcus Mariota, who's in year five. Baker Mayfield's in year two. I, again, I have hope for Baker. But, man, Baker's being served a big helping of humble pie. He's learning valuable lessons. And he's learning painful lessons that are teaching him how to be a professional. Again, his mouth is entertaining, but I go back to the same point. There's a reason why Drew Brees and Tom Brady don't talk the way he does. So today, you know, I feel sad for Baker Mayfield, the person who's two and four, has a horrible interception to touchdown ratio. Five touchdowns, 11 interceptions, playing bad. He's two and four. He's about to play the Patriots, probably going to... 
probably going to lose. Maybe not. Maybe, you know, the Browns are talented. Maybe they beat the Patriots. I don't have a lot of faith that's going to happen after the bye week. But I do have hope for Baker, the player. Maybe if you get him a new coach, maybe if you get him a better offensive line. He's really talented. He is. But clearly Baker needs to learn from these painful, hard lessons and learn to maybe slow down the mouth a little bit, a little more humble. The NFL, again, is very fair. <laughs> you know, the, the whole Richard Sherman thing, I've never, I haven't talked about it because it's like kind of meaningless and looks like, you know, Baker Mayfield did in fact shake Baker Mayfield's hand. But the point of the Baker Mayfield, Richard Sherman handshake gate is that Richard Sherman didn't feel good about Baker. He felt disrespected. And when people in the NFL feel di- disrespected by you, and that's just kind of the general consensus of you, veteran players don't like Baker Mayfield. It's not good, man. If he, if he wins a bunch, he can talk trash and have the bravado he has, but he hasn't earned it. And he hasn't earned the right to talk the way he's talked to the NFL. He's done a lot in college. Hasn't really done much in the NFL yet. And uh, I, I think Baker Mayfield just needs to learn from the stuff he's been going through. And uh, probably shut his mouth and uh, learn to be a better professional. You know, I was talking with my dad this morning, and uh, I came up with a line, unhelpful expectations can break your heart. Like the Cleveland Browns had unhelpful expectations. Now, how about the New York Jets? A couple weeks ago, when, about a month ago now, when Sam Darnold, the Jets' starting quarterback, had, you know, everyone found out he had mono. The expectations for the Jets just fell like, a, like the sky was, but just rapidly declined, went away. Uh, the minute it happened, all the expectations for the New York Jets just totally went away. And I think that's been a really good thing for Sam Darnold. And it's a really, really been a good thing. I think he's free. He's kind of, he's kind of liberated. And he's pissed off with something to prove. <laughs> I watched Sam Darnold on Sunday against the Cowboys. The dude looked fantastic. I mean, people, I, I, I thought, you know, my, my thought when I watched that was like, I was like, finally. I've been waiting for Sam Darnold to look like that since the first minute he stepped into the NFL. I just, man, I have. And, uh, you know, people forget how talented he is. He's got a great arm. He moves really well. And I really think it's possible that the, the whole situation with Mono has been good for Sam Darnold, made him a better quarterback. And I think the truth is also that week one to six, whether he was playing or not, Sam Darnold is going to make a lot of progress and get better. But if, if you don't see me for a month, and at the beginning of the month when you see me, I have a clean, shaven face, I have no beard. And at the end of the month when you see me, I have this giant beard, you go, man, what the heck? What happened? You're like, shot. The, the contrast is stark and shocking. We saw a big jump from Sam, Dar- Sam Darnold, in my opinion. I think when he was out, he was studying the playbook, getting to know things a lot better. What he would have done either way, whether he was playing or not. Sam Darnold grew a metaphorical football beard. That's a funny line, but I, I, I really think that the difference from Sam is stark and, and a big deal. You also got to remember that week one, Sam Darnold played against the Buffalo Bills, who have a really good defense, who gave Tom Brady fits. I actually have a lot of hope for Sam Darnold and the Jets. I do. I think Adam Gase, their new head coach, and him are a good pair. And uh, when I look ahead at their schedule, I go, oh, you know, they could succeed. You know, first of all, the Jets' new head coach, Adam Gase, worked with Peyton Manning. 
He's also the former Dolphins head coach, and I actually liked him in the Dolphins. In fact, you know, the problem with Adam Gase in Miami was he's kind of weird, whatever. People, so a lot of people don't like him. That's fine. But his quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, was regularly injured and looked good when he was healthy. But when he was hurt, he did not look good. And it's hard to win when your quarterback is consistently injured and out. And here's how good of a coach Adam Gase is to me. Adam Gase beat that really good Chicago Bears defense last year with Brock Osweiler at quarterback. <laughs> like, I, to me, that's very, very impressive that a coach could do that with that bad of a quarterback and succeed. So the Jets play the Patriots next week. Uh, I think, you know, I think they could win. I know that it's the Jets and the Patriots, and traditionally the Patriots heavily destroy the Jets. Um, but I think the Jets are a really good matchup for the Patriots. The Jets have, they play good defense. They run the ball well. I think their defense could stifle Tom Brady a little bit. He's been kind of struggling and been uneven this year. Now the Patriots have an incredible defense too, but watch the Jets and Patriots. If nothing else, I I am hopeful it's going to be a good game. I don't know if it is. It's still Tom Brady. It's still the Patriots. But it's possible the Jets surprise people next week. But after the Patriots, listen to this. The schedule really opens up for the Jets. Here's who they play. They'll play the Jaguars, the Dolphins, the Giants, the Redskins, the Raiders, the Bengals, the Dolphins again, then finish with the Ravens, the Steelers, and the Bills. Man, that's a lot of winnable games right there, a lot. The Bengals, the Redskins, the Jaguars, the Giants, the Raiders, those are all games you can win. The Jets could finish 8-8. Eight and eight. When, I, when I look at their schedule, I go, oh, like, honestly, they could finish 8-8, eight and eight, maybe 9-7. and seven. And I honestly think that it's better for the Jets if they miss the playoffs. 8-8 eight and eight is better for the Jets than 9-7. and seven. They're a good team now. I, I do. I, I really like what the Jets are doing. I think they're going to surprise a lot of people when they, you know, they have Sam Darnold now. They just beat the crap out of the Cowboys. And if the Jets get like the, the 15th overall pick and can add one more really good piece to their roster, then man, the Jets franchise would be in really good shape. I like what Sam Darnold's doing. I'm encouraged. It's only one game, right? I don't want to completely overreact, but I do think, wow, Sam Darnold, that's just a better, what I saw was that's a better quarterback. It's a different, more confident quarterback who has mastered his system. And I'm excited to watch what Sam Darnold does the rest of this year. I think I really, truly believe in him. And I think he could do a lot of special stuff, especially as the schedule opens up after that New England Patriots game. Guys, my name is Zach Schalmer. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do Ask Zach. And uh, it'll be awesome, guys. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. It's time for Ask Zach. This segment is the way I end every single one of my podcasts. People who support me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. It's a dollar a month. You can give me more if you want. It would really help. It pays my bills, literally. But if you pay a dollar a month, it gives you access to ask questions through Patreon. Uh, I only accept questions on Patreon through the Patreon DM services, or you can comment on the posts I put on Patreon. And I will not guarantee you to discuss your question on the show. But I do guarantee if you send a question to to me, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler, I'll look at it with my eyeballs, and I I considered it, and then I picked the best couple and talk about them at the end of every episode. So the first question I want to talk about today is from Andrew. Andrew writes in, and I don't have Andrew's thing written down, of course, so I have to go open my phone and find Andrew's question. Andrew, that's my fault. He sent me a DM. 
By the way, the Patreon app, Patreon.com. I just go to the go to the app store. I don't know what it's called, but the app store, the the Patreon app is fantastic. I really love it. Andrew writes in and says this. Andrew says, "Hey Zach, I love your videos. I listen to them during work, and a video subject you should do is analysis of why Matt Lafleur is four and one while every other rookie head coach is doing awful." So first of all, there are eight new NFL head coaches, and they combine for a record of fourteen thirty one and one. Matt LaFleur is the only head coach with a winning record right now. He's 5-1. and one. He's a Packers head coach. And uh, I just want to go through every coach and talk about the situation each one is facing. and Facing? Facing? English is hard. I don't know. But I want to talk about every head coach and talk about their, their scenario they're in, who I feel good about, who I don't feel good about, and kind of why they're in the scenario they're in. So I want to start with the Dolphins and the Bengals. The Dolphins are... 0-5 with their new head coach, Brian Flores. The Bengals are 0-6 with new head coach, Zach Taylor. Both are awful. The Dolphins, I th- are, I'm certain, are tanking and literally not trying to win games. I think the Bengals are doing the same. The Bengals, I think, want a new quarterback. Maybe they're trying to get Tua. Who knows? But the Bengals' defense is awful, and both franchises, I, franchises are... are ugh, get English is hard. Both franchises are a mess. They're just not trying to win. It's They're putting out an awful product, and... I, I, I think that the jobs are secure. Brian Flores' job is safe. Zach Taylor's job is safe. My guess is both franchises made the decision. We are intentionally trying to lose, and we want really good draft picks. I'm sure it happens in the NFL. That's what I see. Now, the Browns are 2-4, and four, and things are going very, very bad. The new head coach, Freddie Kitchens, is uh, he's a first-time head coach, and he's struggling to create a good culture. I think, honestly, the problem here is that Freddie Kitchens needs to relinquish and delegate some of the other responsibilities to other coaches. He's right now the play caller for the Browns. I think that's a lot. I don't think he should be doing that. You know, a lot of, I think a lot of good coaches, Bill Belichick, even, you know, Brian Flores, the Dolphins head coach was last year, the defensive play caller in New England. Bill Belichick delegated that responsibility to Brian Flores. Right now, when I watch Freddie Kitchens, the Browns head coach, he just looks a bit overwhelmed. The Browns' offensive line is bad, and their quarterback, Baker Mayfield, struggling. He's got five touchdowns, 11 interceptions. And I think it's very possible that Freddie Kitchens is fired at the end of this year. He's not putting out a good product. I think the Browns can do better, and they need a better head coach. I was very disappointed when they hired Freddie Kitchens because I really thought Bruce Arians was out there who wanted to be there, and the Browns didn't take him. The Browns had an opportunity to have a great head coach, and they didn't take him, and that made me very disappointed. And the Broncos are 2-4. and four. The Broncos, the Denver Broncos, uh, surprisingly, their defense hasn't been great. They had their first good performance finally, and they played the Titans this week. The reason why I expected a lot from the Broncos' defense was because their head coach, Vic Fangio, was the former Bears defensive coordinator. And maybe the truth is that, you know, you know it's just when you have a great, a bunch of great personnel on defense, it's really easy to look incredible. Um, I think, honestly, though, the, the problem with Vic Fangio is that He's a great football mind. He's a really good coordinator. And being a good coordinator does not necessarily mean you'll be a good head coach. They're very different responsibilities. One is you're nerdy. You understand the game of football really well. You can make great play calls. A great head coach is not necessarily this. It's got to be a good football mind. But a great head coach's job is to set the tone and build the culture. And I think it's possible Vic Fangio is a great football mind who's a good coordinator, who's not good at setting the tone and creating a good culture. That's what I see when I watch the Denver Broncos. I'm also, you know, I am not sure that he's suited as a head coach, 
but I'm also curious about their quarterback situation. They have, you know, Joe Flacco has been, uh, and I haven't watched a lot of Joe Flacco. I really, really want to do a film analysis of him probably at the end of the year. Like, is he good? I have no idea. Maybe, maybe towards like week 13 or whatever. I don't know, but I really want to do a film analysis of Joe Flacco and determine whether he's a good quarterback or not. And, and I, honestly, I don't think he is a good quarterback. But why is important to me? Like, why is he a bad quarterback? Why is he not more successful? What does he do? And my other weird concern with the Denver Broncos is, what's up with their backup quarterback, Drew Locke? He's had the thumb injury. He's been on the injury reserve for a long time. He's the second-round draft pick. He might be the future. Like, he was not ready at all when I watched him in college. He made a lot of boneheaded throws in college at Missouri. But people, I think, expect he might be the next guy, and I... I am not, is he even practicing? Like, it's very weird what's going on with Drew Locke. He's got the stum injury. He's been gone. It, see, it feels like the Broncos are just hiding him. And I, I just, I don't really understand what's going on there. Now, the Buccaneers and their new head coach, Bruce Arians, are also 2-4. and four. They're in bad shape, but Bruce Arians' job is safe. He's, he, I think he's doing a fine job. Jameis Winston, the quarterback, is the problem in Tampa Bay. I think they got to bring in a new quarterback. Maybe Arians, I thought going in that Bruce Arians might be able to help him. And I, I, it's not working. I, I made a comparison earlier to Ron Howard was made the director of Star Wars movie. This, uh, Han, it's a Han Solo spinoff called Solo. The movie was not going well, so they brought in Ron Howard to do it, to, to fix the movie. And even Ron Howard, a really good director who's done good work in the past, couldn't save that movie project. I don't think Bruce Arians, who's a good coach, who's done good things, even Bruce Arians cannot save Jameis Winston. Now, the Jets are 1-4. They're in who had coach Adam Gase. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I honestly, I have hope for them. I know that sentence didn't make sense, but I think it, I have hope for the Jets with Adam Gase. They're 1-4 right now, sure. But they missed their quarterback, Sam Darnold, for a month. You know, they... They're one and one with Sam Darnold. They had a really tough loss to the Buffalo Bills, who's I think I think the Bills are a really good team. They're six they lost sixteen to seventeen as a hard fought game. They're very, very close. I mean, the Bills defense is great. They really they gave up a great fight to the Patriots. It's an admirable loss. Admirable loss. And last week the Jets beat the Cowboys, and Sam looked really good. So I have hope for new, uh, in New York for the Jets. I think the Jets are doing a lot of good stuff. I feel really good about them moving forward. Now the Cardinals have a losing record. They're 2-3-1. and one. But they're doing good stuff. I like their head coach, Cliff Kingsbury. And their young quarterback, Kyler Murray, shows progress every single week. I feel good about it. I did a whole talk about, topic about him if you want to listen to it at the beginning of the show. But I feel good about what the, the Cardinals are doing in Arizona. Now, the Packers, the question asked about the Packers, why is Matt LaFleur 5-1? and one? You got to understand, every new head coach in the NFL last year stepped into a really bad scenario, except for Matt LaFleur. <laughs> every team that got a new head coach was awful, except the Packers. And not only did Matt LaFleur step into a team with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, a good running back, Aaron Jones, they also added good players in free agency. They brought in... Zadarius Smith, they brought in Preston Smith, two great outside linebackers who've had a huge impact on this Packers defense. They traded for, I can't, I can't remember the safety right now. Off, off the top of my head, I can't remember the name of the safety. They brought in a safety I really liked from the Bears. They did a lot of, made a lot of small moves that I really, really liked. And their defense is much, much better 
the culture with the Packers is better. Guys are having fun. I think the Packers were a team that was hungry to win, who didn't like their head coach, and they really, really like Matt LaFleur. They're fighting hard for him. So Matt LaFleur has done a great job. He's had a big impact. But you also got to remember, with the Packers that are 5-1, and one, he's the only new coach who's successful. Well, it doesn't hurt to have Aaron Rodgers and a great defense. Like, he was really set up to succeed. He's still doing it. He's still doing a good job. He's driving the car down the road. But I always talk about fast cars. You know, Matt LaFleur got a Ferrari. Every other coach that joined an NFL team this year, you know, Freddie Kitchens, and maybe not so much. Freddie Kitchens is really bombed. But the Broncos, the Bengals, the Dolphins, those, those are not sports cars. That's like a, it's like a beat up. I drove a Volkswagen Jetta in high school. It was just, I got it for free from a drug dealer. I'm not even kidding. That's what the Dolphins are. They're a horrible mess. Their muffler's broken. You can't get into the car. The air conditioning doesn't work. The windows don't roll down. Like, that's what the Dolphins are. You gave Matt LaFleur the keys to a really good car with the Packers. And look, he's done good. But they're like, hey, just keep it on the road. And it's hard to do that when your car barely works. So my point is that Matt LaFleur got a great roster. Of course, he's being a lot more successful than all the other quarter, all the other head coaches that are new in the NFL this year. Okay, uh, John and Josh ask similar questions. If I can find the piece of paper with all the questions on it. You know, um, Josh sent me a nice message. Josh says this. He says, first, let me say I love your content and all the hard work that goes into it. I know it isn't easy. My question is, what did you think of Devlin Hodge's first NFL start? I know he had an interception and only three points in the second half. But I thought the running game, game helped him stay calm, and I think he did well. Anyways, good luck on the show, and hope to see you at $1 million soon. Let's get to $250,000 first. $250,000, $500,000, $750,000. If we ever get to $1 million, that'd be incredible. I really want to get $250,000 next. John writes in and says, John, hey, Zach, I love the show, and I'm happy to be able to support you on here. Thank you. John and Josh, both of you guys, thank you for your support. You always put a smile on my face, and you make a great show. My question is, what are your thoughts on Devlin Hodges' first start in the NFL against the Chargers? I did not get to watch the game, but based on the fact that James Conner had seven receptions leads me to believe there were plenty of design screens and a lot of throws underneath. He had a good completion percentage and a touchdown. What is the story outside of the numbers? Uh, I did watch the game. That's my job. And uh, actually, I think the numbers are the story here. Now, the Steelers beat the Chargers in L.A. 24-17. to 17. And Devlin, Duck Hodges, I don't know why. Is Devlin, is Duck like the, the short term for Devlin? I have no idea. But Duck Hodges is not the story here. He's the third string quarterback. He came off the bench. He led the Steelers to a victory. But the Steelers defense was great. They had two touch, they had two interceptions. They also had, and they had a touchdown on defense, by the way. They had a pick six. Two interceptions. They also had a fumble recovery. And the Steelers offense was very, very safe. This is the inside baseball behind Devlin Hodges, maybe inside football because we're talking about football. The Steelers ran the ball 36 times. 36 times. Very, very safe. And they ran the ball really well. And Hodges, the Steelers quarterback, was you know, 15 for 20. It's a good completion percentage. But he really didn't push the ball downfield at all. Through, the, through a bunch of checkdowns, through some screen passes, through dinky little throws underneath. No knock on him. He did a good job. Teddy Bridgewater's been doing that for a couple weeks, and I think Teddy Bridgewater's better than Devlin Hodges, but Devlin Hodges executed the offense well. I think Devlin Hodges honestly executed better than Mason Rudolph did. But one of Devlin Hodges' touchdown passes was a checkdown. I mean, congratulations, Duck. You did a good job. 
But let's slow down a little bit. I love his story. I love the fact that he won the game. But honestly, he's done nothing impressive yet. And here's the sad reality about Duck Hodges is that, you know, the Steelers have a bye week this week. They play the Dolphins in week eight. And if he does, in fact, play against the Dolphins, he could succeed again. But Mason Rudolph is coming back. Mason Rudolph just got cleared to play in week eight. And then whoever plays against the Colts week nine for the Steelers, they're in trouble, whether it's Duck Hodges or Mason Rudolph. And if, if it is, in fact, if Duck Hodges ever does play again, and if he does play against the Colts, we will learn a lot about who he really is as a quarterback. But what I saw on Sunday was a team that really masked the, the youth of their quarterback, running the ball really well, throwing a lot of screen passes, little dinky throws underneath. And then Devlin Hodges is a guy who he did that role well. He did a good job taking the defense, gave him, throwing the ball underneath. Solid performance, but again, not that impressive. We didn't see any big throws downfield. Kyle Allen has done a great job for the Panthers, and you see bigger throws farther downfield into tight windows against man coverage. Doug Hodges didn't do that against the Chargers. And unless something crazy happens and Duck Hodges wins the job in practice, we're probably not going to see him play again the rest of the year unless Mason Rudolph gets hurt. But hey, it is encouraging. If you're a Steelers fan, you have a good backup who can do that role well, and I feel good about Devlin Hodges, but Duck Hodges is not really an NFL quarterback, a starting NFL quarterback. He's a great backup. He's in the role he should be in, and he probably won't play again the rest of the year. Okay, Nate writes in about the Redskins. It's a long one, but I think it's a good one. And uh, honestly, Nate, I, in the prep I did for your question, I kind of ignored your question, but I still think it's an interesting proposition to talk about. And you'll hear what I mean in a minute. Nate writes in and says this. Nate says, I'm a huge fan of the show, and as someone who's only gotten into football in the last couple of years, I find that your podcast really helps me understand the game and also keep up with everything that's going on. I want to commend you for speaking so openly about your brother. As someone who had a dear friend take his own life, I want to say I really understand that pain. I think your brother would be proud of you, and I would love everything you're doing in Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so much, Nate. Nate's question is this. Nate says, You've spoken about the Redskins' various issues, both on the field and within the management. If ownership were not the issue, what do you think would realistically take? What do you think it would realistically take for the team to beef up its roster to the point where it's least it's at least a playoff-worthy team? Thanks, and have a blessed day. Okay, Nate. Uh, look, the Redskins need everything. <laughs> they need a quarterback. They need a head coach. They need an offensive line. Uh, it's a mess. And what's really sad is that briefly the Redskins looked really good with Alex Smith before he got hurt. And you ask me, you know, if we forget, what does he say here? It says, if ownership were not an issue, look, it is though. You can't ignore that. It's too big a problem to ignore. And ownership and management leads to the product on the field. So as much as I would love to just listen to your question and say, oh, okay, let's ignore the management, what it needs to go on in the roster. That's not how, the, not how it works. I cannot see the Redskins becoming a playoff-worthy team the way things are going. They need a new head coach. And the problem is they can't attract a truly quality head coach. They're not going to get one. They might get some schmuck who nobody wants because <laughs> only someone who's desperate is going to go to the Redskins. The arrogance it would take to think you can win with a bad owner who controls all your moves and picks players for you that's a pretty arrogant, silly guy. Like, if, if Robert Sala, the 49ers head, uh, defensive coordinator, left the 49ers and went to the Redskins, it'd be a very, very foolish thing. 
okay, let's go make a good defense and try to win with Dwayne Haskins at quarter. Like maybe, I don't think that would work. Here's what I do know. I think there are two options that the Redskins have that are better than all the others. One option right now, I don't know if it's really an option, but it's a rumor you hear. A rumor I keep hearing circulating is that the Redskins want to trade for the Steelers head coach, Mike Tomlin. Bam, that solves all your problems. Because here's the thing. The only way you're going to get a good head coach if you're the Redskins is if you force someone to be a part of your franchise. Because <laughs> you're not going to just get a coach willing. Like Bill Belichick's and Pete Carroll's of the world, they're not going to just say, oh yeah, let's go work with the Redskins. No, no, no. Nobody of quality is attracted to that job. But if you trade for Mike Tomlin and force him to come, there you go. You get a solid head coach. The other option is this. I've heard, you know, Rex Ryan has talked about wanting the Redskins job. Rex Ryan, I think, really badly wants to be a head coach. And I actually like Rex Ryan. He's quirky. A lot of people don't like him. But I think he's hungry and he wants to coach again in the NFL. Remember, he coached for the Jets and the Bills. He had a brief period where with the Jets, he even beat up on the Patriots. He looked really good. Rex Ryan would take the job, and I would give it to him. He's maybe the best option the Redskins have to get a, a somewhat quality head coach to, to come to Washington. And, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the former players from Rex Ryan love him. A lot of his former players believe in him. I, actually, I think he'd, he's a good head coach. He understands defense. He knows how to win with a young, young quarterback like Dwayne Haskins. Of all the options the Redskins have right now, that, I think, is the best one, is Rex Ryan or Mike Tomlin. I actually honestly lean towards Rex Ryan. I think Rex Ryan, the formula he made work with Mark Sanchez, could work with Dwayne Haskins and that Redskins team. And so that's what I would do. You know, I don't know that the Redskins have a chance to become a playoff team anytime soon. Uh, and I know you asked, what, what do they need to do on their roster? Well, they need to get rid of their heavy contracts. They have very expensive contracts that are not. I think, I think Josh Norman is one of those. That just is like, man, what, you're paying this guy a lot of money. He's not really performing at a high level. But it, it starts with management. Until you get rid of the management there, it's not going to work in Washington. And then even if you can overcome management, you got to get a good head coach to show up. And I think the best hope right now for the Redskins is, in fact, Rex Ryan, who's right now working for ESPN as an analyst. So uh, good luck if you're Washington. Good luck. I don't think anybody wants to work with them. And uh, I'm not very encouraged or excited about their future. Okay, before we leave the show, I want to check something. I sent a message to someone. Uh, one of my buddies has a band I really, really like. It's a guy named... So my, my friend has a band called Almost Blonde. Name's Ethan Day. I sent Ethan a message on Instagram. I said, I love what you guys are doing. I have a clip. I could use... I want to use a clip of their song, Wasted Time, to play out the show every episode. And I don't know if he's going to allow me to. But I just... you know, In this scenario, I would say, all right, guys... Let's play us out with Wasted Time by Almost Blonde. That's how I want to end the show in the future. So I sent them a message today. They haven't responded yet. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But either way, go look up Wasted Time by Almost Blonde. Their EP is really good. I love it. Uh, the later songs, I think, are better than the first songs, but they're all, I just, they're, I love it all. The more I listen to it, the more I like it, and their lyrics are meaningful. So it's a buddy of mine. I've never met him. I've only FaceTimed with him, but I've encouraged him for years. He used to make really, you know, really good YouTube covers. And he went from a cover artist on YouTube to making high-quality uh, music in this band. He makes great, high, well-produced music. So look up Almost Blonde. There's Their single, Wasted Time, is on every music platform. I have Apple Music. It's free on Apple Music. It's also on, it's on YouTube and everywhere you want. Point is, look up Wasted Time by Almost Blonde. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so 
very much for listening. This is my favorite thing in the world. I love my job. I love getting to, getting to do this show. And I uh, hope you have a great day. I want to interrupt myself real quick. I got a message back from Ethan on Instagram. So for the very first time, hopefully this tradition continues for a long time. Playing us out, this is Almost Blonde and their new single, Wasted Time. Enjoy and have a great day, everyone. You'll be just like me Don't mistake me for somebody that you shouldn't believe Do you remember the person that you aspired to be? Well, he packed up his bags and he's ready to leave It's all the brick, it's time to think of what you want to achieve Cause there's a different path for the life you need If it was easy, everybody would have followed your lead And you will get no respect until you start to succeed And people still are gonna cut you just to watch you bleed Take it from the old man who used to walk in your feet Well, throw your soul into your you Dug inside Well, wait